0: Welcome to Phil's Breakfast Metal episode 106 As you've already seen from the title, I'm doing yet another Death Metal Gems This recording recordings running straight on from the last one I decided to split them in half because there's no point giving out 20 recommendations for albums in one sitting Because there's no way you'll, um, you'll get to all of them So yeah, um, because I'm not buying any new music this year as well This will be like the last Death Metal Gems I'll do for a while I'm going to totally switch gears on the next episode and do something a bit more... Um, Sort of research heavy and going deeper on individual bands maybe rather than um sort of running for a load of different albums like this but let's jump straight into it you're probably familiar with the kind of format by now i'm going to recommend a load of death metal albums primarily from like the sort of mid to early 90s maybe some crossing into the early 2000s that i believe are somewhat undersung by no means do i mean these like you've never heard of them i'm sure a few of these like you may be familiar with But their albums I just, I think, are very good, but I don't hear a lot of discussion of for one reason or another. So the first one I want to get into is um, Devoid from the UK, uh, Liverpool to be precise, um, with their one and only album Blackened Empire from 1991. So the kind of claim to fame Devoid have of one of their guitarists was Carlos Rodriguez, who went on to be in Carcass after Michael Amott, the guy who played the leads on Swan Song. And he was also in the kind of terrible follow up project, uh, Black Star. But let's not hold a Swan Song against him. The guy was clearly a very gifted guitarist, just uh, in getting into Carcass at a kind of transitionary phase, I think. This is much earlier and sees him as a much less kind of accomplished musician. Much like if you look back at kind of Michael Amott in the Carnage days versus Carcass, I think this guy had yet to grow into his kind of. Um, real impressive lead chops like actually devoid's blackened empire is a very raw and rough affair like i think one of the many reasons it's kind of a lesser known album despite the kind of really good songwriting is it's just such a rough recording it's um it's very heavy and in your face there's a great sort of bass tone to it but the the guitars are really kind of um scratchy and and kind of um I mean, it's all tight, it just feels like a really bad capture, like, like, it just kind of washed out sound to it. But the writing is furious, it has that huge low end of, like, the the kick, the snare, the bass are really prominent and complex and fast throughout this, so it has, like, a, a real kind of heavy edge to it it's a very short and sweet release um coming in at just under half an hour which i think is perfect for this kind of like slightly frenetic but not particularly technical death metal like they come in they like each each kind of riff delivers a cool groove or kind of just a, a kind of slice of brutality for 40 seconds and it's moved on there's the odd lead but um the two guitarists really keep things kind of simple on that front it's it's sort of brief sections of melodicism. A lot of the time, just playing the same repeating pattern and adding, like, a harmony to it, which sounds great, and it's just a nice change from, um, like, everything else going on. Like, it, it's the one kind of, um, sort of, more melodic hook, but it's, yes, yeah, certainly not as fancy as you'd expect for someone who went on to play on Swan Song. I'd say the real kind of um, highlight of Devoy for me, that what really grabbed me about Black and Empire, is uh, the vocals of Louis Fellows, who... I, I, I sort of picked up this album just from listening to it. I, I didn't really know any of the history. And he sounds so much like Frank Mullen. Um, I was convinced this was going to be a New York death metal band, not a UK band. It's kind of like a sort of higher range. He's not quite as good as Frank Mullen, but let's be honest, there are very few people in death metal who are. But if your vocals are evocative of his style, you're adding some serious power and brutality to this music. And it's not a brutal death metal album by any any regard. This is certainly pre-the suffocation influence. I, I think these these guys really are taking more from kind of those early, like, obituary and cannibal corpse records than they are, like, the slightly later New York scene. But there's a, just a huge amount of charm in this. It does the usual thing um, that will automatically sell me on an older death metal record of having the bass loud and the bass being very well played and getting its own kind of position, adding its own kind of spin on things. Paul Craig does some fantastic work on this album. There's just loads of little bits he's adding in that just just add to the add to the riffs. And when he's not doing that, he's just syncing tightly with the kick drum and adding a real heft to it. There is very few departures from what you would expect on this release. The only kind of interesting sort of turns in this is uh, Live Through My Pain, which I'd say is probably for me the highlight of the album, does have more of a slow-paced bit in the middle where, where there's a bit more experimentation, and Defiance has a cool kind of clean-tone guitar outro that actually introduces like a cool bit of groove and a little build-up for the final minute. It's just a, a sweet way to end an album, it just just that one last little change to uh to keep you keep you paying attention right to the dying seconds not a huge amount more than that to say on this as it's yeah as i say 29 minute release that uh somewhat uh let down by a, a bit of a rough production but actually i think revisiting now it's got a huge charm to it like it, it does sound quite unique for that it's quite easy to pick up as well um it's one of many I've got in recent years of Dark Blasphemy Records, whose band camp I would highly advise anyone go and visit. They, they've got an amazing collection of um, of old death metal. I've brought them up many times before um, on, on the podcast. Like they've produced, like, yeah, they've put out a lot of collections that have. Um, ended up in the Death Metal Gems. Weirdly, it's um, it's now... They've, they've sort of titled it Return to the Void, the complete works of, of Devoid, and they've included the, the sort of promo tape they did after this and the demo they did before. Although, what's really odd about that is it isn't the complete works. Devoid have an earlier demo from 89, which there seems to be very little information about. But because it's a UK band in 89, I kind of love to hear that demo because... I think that might be sort of like that real gnarly punky grind, you know, that that sort of like napalm death at the scum era kind of thing is what I'm expecting, particularly from the the, the pen drawn, uh, very cartoony. Uh, uh, cover the cassette has so yeah it's a shame it's a shame they weren't able to get access to that but it you know you never know it might be one of those things that is completely lost to time but anyway yeah you get the demo you get a couple of demos in there which is is cool the uh the human plague demo is certainly worth checking out as well but mainly there's somewhere you can go on bandcamp to pick up black and empire and i highly advise it because yeah it's a really solid release So the next band I want to cover are De Flores from the Czech Republic. So De Flores I think would fit very well with that band T-O-O-H I covered from the last episode. These guys kind of play a nice blend of death metal and grindcore. Um, I'm talking mainly about their 11 Murders debut album from 1998. Uh, but they they were a band who, apparently still active, they sort of um, have like... A relatively big output. They you've got three full-length albums, like the latest one of which came out in uh, 2014, but like, we're clearly making a bit of a, a dent in the scene early on, like releasing one of their earliest releases is an EP that they split half and half with In Growing. Um, in Growing put out the EP, Perverted Look at the World, and uh, they joint released that with is um Dreams of Serial Killers, which... Actually, so the the album I've got is a um a kind of um compilation of that EP and this album and I think that EP is probably the stronger release. So I think we covered a while back in Growing Cyberspace on um on one of um one of the Death Metal Gems episodes, and I really think it is like yeah, looks sort of a highlight of the scenes, like sort of death grind movement. There's some really cool stuff on that. But the fact that yeah, this band were kind of, you know, about and hanging out with people like that shows you know they're on the sort of cutting edge of that style at the time. Although God knows how popular sort of death grind still was in '98 when Eleven Murders came out. The thing that's kind of quite noticeable about this, it has like quite a kind of bright, clear production. It's um, another album super bass heavy. It seems to be something like like a lot of the bands we covered in the last episode were really giving bass guitar a prominence in their mix, despite the, you know, the lineup behind this being a five-piece, like, with a separate sort of vocalist and two guitars, like, the bass is the really striking thing about this. Uh, uh, kind of coupled with that is the the vocalist. Like, the vocal performance on this is really kind of wild stuff. There's a lot of, um, a lot of kind of bizarre variation. Um, uh, Peter Vibrik, Vibica. I'm kind of not quite sure how you say his surname, but yeah, he is doing all sorts of stuff. And it's, it's one of those performances where I can't believe he didn't hurt himself doing some of these vocals, because he'll go for all these sort of bizarre noises, a combination of some really cool, like, higher screams, and then slightly more low, kind of traditional death metal ones, then doing this, like, semi-clean singing voice, just lots of, like back and forth with different sounds i uh, it's it's kind of the really engaging thing about this is like just that like constantly changing vocal performance the songs are very short and sweet to the point like barely anything coming over the like three minute mark and they throw a lot of like sillier moments in there the the opening track has this whole sort of like really upbeat bass groove in the kind of middle eight-type section. And just to, like, really put a cap on it, the, the final track fully goes into circus music um, by the the last minute, just to show you the band. Clearly, we're not taking this all that seriously. Lyrical Fodder is very much based on serial killer stuff, but, um, yeah, I can't, like... They've not plinted the lyrics in the CD I've got, and they're not online, so... God knows what it's actually about beyond the titles. Um, yeah, so Eleven Murders, I thought was a, a sort of a really cool release. But as I say, like the the thing to pick up, and I, I guess actually the way to get it is if you can find that split, the um, their sort of debut EP from two years earlier, nineteen ninety six, um, Dreams of a Serial Killer, is the kind of, I kind of the the better version of this sound for me because. It's slightly less silly, and it doesn't have as bright a production. It's more or less the same lineup. I think there's a new bass player for Eleven Murders, but um, the two guitarists on this have such a, like, sort of evil-sounding tone on the EP. Couple with that, the drums tend to be going for more, like, more constant blasting rather than these kind of, like, more up-tempo, kind of, groove groovy stuff they are doing on Eleven Murders, and the vocals while still incredibly varied and a cool performance it is much more doing that sort of traditional switching back between the low death metal voice and the high kind of shrieking voice it's just a very kind of evil nasty sounding record um whereas yeah i think in later years they kind of started including a lot more kind of humor and like weird asides in it like the the following am 11 murders does have like those moments of sort of like cheesy horror movie keyboards in places as well which i don't know for whatever reason i think if they'd been on the uh, ep it would have kind of detracted from the kind of nastiness of it <laughs> Next up, I want to cover a band I briefly touched on during the Vader episode. This is Slashing Death, and I recently picked up their comp, Off, which covers basically all their release material. So, Slashing Death, most famously, are the band that Vader poached their excellent early drummer, Doc, from. Um, they were active... kind of. I think they went on a little longer, but... Oh, apparently they reactivated, but I don't quite know what that means. But, like, realistically, their releases are known between 1988 and 1990 so very early days of of the death metal scene um and they are playing this kind of very punk inspired sort of heavy thrash proto death kind of yeah mixing that kind of punk edge of thrash with with death ending up a essentially kind of like a death grind sound um But a very raw, early version of Deathgrind. I mean, through their entire discography, like, you know, they've put out about 18 songs, barely any of them are over two minutes. They are all these kind of very quick, sort of two rift blast fests, Um, particularly their final demo, um, Kill Me Because I Can't Stop. Uh, has some amazingly short to-the-point song. I think it's about eight tracks. They're all about a minute and a half. And there, where you really start to showcase just kind of what a powerhouse of a drummer Doc is, like his double kick work, even at this kind of incredibly young age, is furious and aggressive. Um, like, say, that early Napalm Death, it was recorded as a power trio, so we've got guitarist, vocalist, bass player, and drummer. Vocalist Sippus um, has this kind of, I- I'd say, like, very heavier end of thrash-inspired growl. It's kind of, it's not quite a full sort of death-grunting noise, It's um, it is a bit more kind of harsh and raspy than that. But honestly, the the mix of this um, this this demo is is so much that he's kind of quite down in it. Like um, Doc is utterly dominating the mix, which is kind of what you want. I mean, for me, he's certainly the reason I went back to check this out. Uh, and I think it, much like I was saying in that Vader episode, all these recordings are that kind of thing where they were able to just like book like a day of studio time. So this the reason Doc's probably so dominating that sound is it's pretty because all the guitars are recorded in that one room with the drummer, and a powerhouse like that is going to drown those out unless they are very well mic'd up, which almost certainly it wouldn't be, because I can't believe in, like, 89 or 90 when they were recording this stuff, people in the studio had any idea what they were doing with it. With the the older demos, um, Irrevocably and With No Hope has got some interesting moments on it. It's slightly longer songs as well, so they get into... Territory is stringing more riffs together, and it's a bit of a slower pace. And you can kind of see the improvement in Doc's drumming between these two albums. Like, that second release is, is fairly sloppy, to be honest, and is he's not showing off the skills he would have, like, a year later. And the the demo one, um, the Deathly uh, Ceremonic, is a hard listen. It feels like it's more or less a live tape, which... I mean it it's interesting for that kind of point in time but it's just such a kind of washed out mess like it's quite hard to sort of pick the songs out of this the, the reason to get the the slashing death comp is for killmakers i can't stop that demo is genuinely like a fantastic 9 minutes of music like just a real brutal in your face kind of punk death grind sound and it shows like the the real early days of um of the kind of death metal scene coming out of Poland I think there was a lot of other bands in this kind of vein doing this kind of thing and really for comparisons like you don't have much outside of Vader's uh, Live in Decay which again is a horrible recording like I guess because even by the time you get to their sort of Necrolust demo vader have morphed into being vader and started you know following their own path whereas i feel slashing death are a band especially you know they did four demos who were um you know kind of more clearly wearing their influences on their sleeve i think this um this is one that would have been taking influence from that early uk scene i I mean I, i don't know for sure maybe they were literally just evolving out of having heard those kind of first, like, Sodom and Creator releases and just went, let's take the fastest bits of that and just do that. But that's more or less the sound of Slashing Death. <laughs> So next up, we have another Polish death metal demo, but one of a very, very different nature. I've covered this band before. This is Neolithic, who um, are kind of, I'd say, more in, like, the progressive death doom end of things. Um, I've talked about their debut album For Destroy Lament, from 1996, which is fairly, fairly excellent release. Um, so what I'm covering today is their demo from 1993, Personal Fragment of Life, which... Um, really was you know setting up the template for that next release like they said after a pretty disappointing rehearsal tape they were able to get into a decent studio for this one and it, it shows like this demo has an incredible kind of sound to it it's it's very professional sounding and um as i say they're kind of in the vein of i i think things like earlier nephmur maybe early my dying bride there's little bit more of a death metal leaning than those bands but it's a lot of creating atmosphere and kind of beautiful melodies um peter the the vocalist uh, has a kind of he's got a kind of quite gnarly like heavy death metal voice but every so often will break into these kind of quite mournful cleans is that it? the the reason it kind of puts me in mind of those those british doom bands is cuz it has that nature of um it's not really quite, like, full-on singing at this point. It's, uh, But it's it's very emotive. Um, and I think the thing that adds a lot of energy to it, the the other kind of weird thing they had going on is they had a guy whose job in the band was playing keyboards and violins. So most of the album is layered with either kind of big synth sounds or, like, some additional strings. And then, like, we'll break into moments of, like really kind of flashy lead guitar and stuff like that the riffing though kind of you set aside the sort of keyboard noises and some of the weirder vocals over it is very death metal in this this is a, a kind of heavier release than for destroy lament i think it's more kind of more proto i guess like 1993 is probably before those things were really sort of codified and so there's a lot of like older mid-tempo death metal getting in there, particularly when, like, sort of the bass and drums get going. It has a quite kind of chunky heft to the riffs, and it is stuff you can, you know, bang your head along to more so than a lot of things that would sit more in the Doom Camp. Something else that struck me as an interesting touch is there's a lot of cool layering of vocals. Often that clean voice will be in direct like, well, not harmony, but it'd be going along kind of word for word with the, the death metal vocal, or sometimes he even layers like kind of high and lower screams together to make these kind of quite kind of all over the place sounds, particularly when you think of you know, how many instruments are going on here. The keyboards and stuff sometimes do take the four um, uh, Unupdate Museum, uh, the very strange title, but this band's always had a thing for strange titles. Um, has this whole middle eight section where there's a very kind of like church organ keyboard for a while and then the violin really gets going doing its own thing like giving it almost like slight neoclassical vibe whereas you know the previous bits of that song were more kind of blasting death metally, and you know the only kind of out there thing was the, uh, the odd vocal performance. Something else they've sort of already started leaning into which I really liked the next album for is The weird covers, these really kind of strange psychedelic paintings of like disembodied faces on weird kind of chaotic sort of seascapes. Really, really interesting aesthetic Neolithic were going for. But they're a band I'm surprised there isn't sort of a bit more known about them. I I really, outside of, I just found one of their albums a while ago through seeing the album cover somewhere. I'm surprised there isn't a bit more interest in them because I think people who have a lot of time for that Sort of, you know, early peaceful, free, or early catatonia, maybe even edge of sanity. There's a lot of that in this sound, but they've almost taken it to a, like a more extreme. In some ways, they seem to really be engaging with that sort of weepy "woe is me" nature of doom, while still playing something that's very discernibly death metal music. And yeah, it's amazing to think they would kind of nailed that to such an extent in nineteen ninety-three on a demo. Like as I say, this this demo sounds ridiculously good compared to you know, most of the sort of demos I've been going through on these episodes. <laughs> So next up, we're covering a release from Anethma as a good segue. Not that Anethma, though. Uh, This is the very short-lived Anethma from Finland, who uh, I think in 1990 changed the name to uh, Funeration. Actually, maybe they changed the name to Funeration, then Anethma, then back to Funeration. Who knows? Um, Confusing one. This is another release I found on uh, Dark Blasphemies Records. Um, You can get their kind of collected discography, which is essentially... Uh, I think uh, two demo tapes and a promo tape, and it's what's something that's kind of of note for a couple of things like Dark Blasphemy's has done a great kind of repackaging of it, they've given it a really gnarly, kind of uh, corpsey graveyard cover that looks very reminiscent of the first sentence release. But also, the thing this band had going for them and still stands out as kind of amazing is um, Salon and Passy, the bass player and vocalist. Is doing a full-on like demi lich style voice on this. Like his vocals are so notably silly low. Um, like it's it's never particularly fast. It's quite um quite a slow kind of like almost belch sound. But it just sounds so incongruous with their music, which is this quite primitive kind of I'd say like early Bolt Thrower influenced kind of lots of sections of cool double kick, and then lots of, like, slightly doomy, slow-down sections. But, Enethma, or Funeration, uh, let's call them Funeration for now, Um, just to make the distinction obvious, they have that classic finish sound to them. There's something about their music which is somewhat more evil than, you know, most of their kind of European counterparts. It, It has a kind of weight and heaviness, and... As I say, that vocal performance adds a hell of a lot to that. So they have, on this release, they've got the 1991 promo tape with uh, Envoy of Hypocrisy and Higher Forms Game, which sounds a bit more of a polished release, although I think my favourite sort of bit of this is what's known as Demo 2, and that's just got four tracks which are very raw, rough-and-ready recording. Like, the performances. It's it's not bad, but it's it's not perfect, and you can tell this is kind of a um, a relatively hastily recorded thing. But what's nice about it is um, because the recording is this quite unpolished demo tape, it puts the vocals into this crazy stark contrast versus everything else. And you know, the if you look at the band photos of these guys, they they were like little kids recording this. Like this is. This really is children playing death metal, but they're doing a very good job of it. Sadly, no one in this band seems to have gone on to all that much. They, like Most of them were in a couple of other projects that had a similar kind of run of doing one or two demo tapes and then disbanding. I think it is a thing, sort of reading the um, Rotting Ways to Misery book. Very much the scene sort of imploded in on itself after the after the mid-90s, so... These guys did their thing till 91, 92 and then went on to other things in life. But if you've got a real sort of um, love for that scene, the, the kind of early finished death metal, your demigod, demilich, um, why are those the only two I can think of off the top of my head? That that general sound. These guys sit in there quite neatly and, as I say, like seem to be very much keeping alive like that obvious... Um, influence from the the early British death metal scene and just the kind of the general nastiness of tone that comes along with those bands (laughs) up is another band with a confusing name this is columbia's neurosis and they're covering their debut from 1995 for done 1916 so these guys are still active still regularly putting out stuff they put out an ep the trial this year um and seemingly that kind of name confusion hasn't hindered them but so with their debut for done i think the thing that made me pick this up in the first place is the fantastic album cover it's a very simplistic piece but it's a sort of group of soldiers obviously like sort of first world war troops marching in step with uh, with death who is also sort of wearing a military uniform and it's just very evocative it's totally the kind of stuff a band like 1914 would be doing later on but it's cool to see it this far back Sadly, it's not quite a full concept album or anything, but it's a very sort of politically furious release. Um, and it's from a band who are kind of in that kind of early stages. you can see. They they did have a demo ahead of this, which is apparently very good, but um, it's the case of, like, the drummer is a guest player on this album. The, the, you've only got sort of the core three-piece of vocalist, bassist, and um, guitarist, and I, I believe the, the guitarists say... Uh, Yorg McKenzie is the the main guy behind this. He's sort of been the driving force behind this band through this sort of many lineup changes over the year. The core of the sound it's another more sort of mid-paced death metal band, but whereas like a lot of the others we were discussing were kind of more um, sort of Bolt Thrower influence, this is far more um, sort of taking that sort of old thrashy sound and making it more kind of. Tight, down-tuned, and evil-sounding. There's a very, um, a very dark edge to the riffing of Neurosis. They, they have like, while never massively technical, their, their stuff always seems quite apocalyptic to me. Very, yeah, very sinister-sounding. Um, the, the thing I love about this, this album is vocalist uh, Arlie Cruz. He has this incredible voice. It's um, very reminiscent of sort of. Um, erosion of Sanity area. Luke Lemay. This these long, really kind of soulful screams, where they you, you know always feel on the edge of like his voice cracking. And while the lyrical content is you know quite political, it's like s- simple political stuff. It kind of works that very emotional delivery. It gives it a, a huge amount of punch and um, sort of urgency. Yeah, his his performance on this, I absolutely love it. Just sounds so so kind of pained and and hurt and just gnarly. The sort of musicianship of the band is fairly simple. Uh, Jörg uh, plays, like, the odd solo, but it's nothing massively complex. There's even, like, a a four-minute instrumental, which you'd often expect an album like this to be a real sort of dueling guitar kind of thing but actually he's very restrained with it it's quite a riffy track the instrumental almost kind of surprising they didn't actually sort of layer vocals over that Um, and the bass player has his moments he you know has got an interesting position in the mix but uh, you know nothing nothing amazing the drum performance is really solid actually particularly for a a guest player like uh, it, it just fits perfectly and it sounds sort of incredibly tight and polished which I guess you would expect for an album um, coming from 1995. One of the nice touches is there's a lot of um, keyboards layered over various parts of this to great effect, particularly in the, the opening track. And it's it's simplistic stuff, but it just gives another sort of emotional edge. And I think this is done by um, the guy who's recording them. He's just added like, a few of these touches. But it it really, really adds something to them. The only sort of frustration i have with the mix of Verdun is that the snare is this abs like sounds like a fucking gun going off it's this huge really piercing quite pingy kind of noise um and it somewhat drowns out all the toms like there's a lot of interesting fills on this that you really have to listen for like they're not front and center by any degree um and you know it's it's a frustration, but, you know, debut release from a band, there's always going to be slight mistakes in the in the mix like that. And and it doesn't really detract beyond kind of wanting to hear more of the drum performance. While they are hardly the first, that kind of World War One aesthetic, I think the way they've presented it on this album does really work well for them. And it's something I think we'll see bands go a lot more into in the future, but... Um, that kind of anti-war thing. I mean, it's always there in Thrash, and it's clearly the genre that Neurosis has taken primary influence from. But I think just by virtue of how sort of extreme their sound is, how harsh the vocals was, I would classify this as still a death metal release. But if you do want that really darker end of Thrash, if you're someone who who does love the kind of um, Persecution Mania era, Sodom, that kind of thing, but would like to hear that in a more polished refined setting neurosis are a great example of that um they like the the mix other than like yeah being a little frustrating on the drums actually sounds amazing like and it is that that nicety of these albums that were coming out in 1995 people knew how to make this stuff sound good and this this does sound like really sort of polished and well done for a debut and as i say taking that kind of gnarlier end of fresh and putting it to kind of its most extreme where you die. The best place storm raging outside so I hope that isn't picking up on the recording too badly anyway, next band I want to um, talk about I think it's the first one from America I've covered on the, on this episode, this is Crucifixion with their debut album Desert of Shattered Hopes they're a Texas based band, um, they released two albums, this one in 93 and then one in 98 and sort of split up soon after that and what is kind of really abundantly clear with Desert of Shattered Hopes is how good a musicians this band were this album fucking shreds. Like the four guys on it do not have much of a history um, outside the band, as far as I can tell. They they have one demo before this. They I think if you you get this, you can pick this up on Bandcamp now. It's kind of a collection with that demo, um, and they just come to this debut as absolute bloody master musicians. The um, drummer's performance is this amazing just like all fills all the time with incredible tight double kicks over these really fast guitarists like the the picking is incredibly intricate and technical and it's always got this like real driving rhythm to it uh Danny Martinez does both vocals and bass and his vocal performance is this really cool kind of like like just like standard death metal voice but it is a, a fantastic delivery and whenever like whenever he's doing that the bass is a bit more simplistic but when he's not doing vocals the bass gets in there's some interesting stuff i believe it's fretless it's got that kind of weird resonance to it and his kind of his vocals have a real like nasty low gravel that, that i think really cuts through well The album sounds great, although it's not recorded like at a studio I'm particularly familiar with. Like the guy who's sort of credited with um, sort of engineering it, doesn't have a lot to his name, but like what he's done sounds absolutely brilliant on this. The um, the kind of real standout thing as well is uh, Armando Mata, the guitarist on this, like the lead guitarist on this. There's specified lead and rhythm. Can play some incredible solos. Like the, the solos on this are real face melters. We get into the territory of like really quick sweet picking. Like it's they they are fast, but they're very melodic and charming. And like a lot of the times, they are kind of like the highlight of these songs. But these two guitarists are just such kind of master players. Like so many of these riffs are just absolutely brilliant. It's it's only about thirty five minutes long. This album and. There isn't a, a dull moment on it. There's so many kind of just great to the point death metal songs that then erupt into these really flashy but still still tasteful solos. I mean, I don't know if you can do those sweeps in a row. Maybe that isn't tasteful anymore. But I really like them, and it doesn't quite get into like some of the realm of something like um, oh, what's the band I'm thinking of? I had to stop and look it up. It was Catacomb, uh, the band I was thinking of. Whether it's like they've just layered the entire album with sweeps, like this, they are more tastefully deployed than that. Um, despite that, I mean that like, Catacomb's uh, debut release is absolutely brilliant as well. But yeah, Crucifixion, like, really are onto something quite incredible here because it's '93, so we, you know, we're well past the the sort of age of Morbid Angel and Death getting like hyper complex. This is, you know at the same time as, you know, Atheist like their, their kind of peak and all that. So, I mean, they are competing with other really technically gifted bands, but it's it's kind of interesting, this one somewhat, at least from my perspective, to fall By The wayside because it's very, very well put together. Um, I mean, maybe it's not quite as technically ambitious as those bands I, I've mentioned, but there is certainly a kind of level of expertise and, like, pulling off what they set out to do, Quite quite a, a high degree. I guess the thing they have different to those bands is this does sit more in that kind of 4-4 realm of just very, very fast, intricate riffing that does feel, you know, like a logical extension from thrash metal and the like. But it is just so good. I really, really love this album. It's what I'm sort of struggling to describe in great detail because it, what it is, is just if you picture fast death metal from the 90s, it sounds like that. And then the solos are really great and kind of, like, melodic over that. It's just a really well-executed album. Yeah, I'd highly recommend, if, if you have time for that kind of, um, yeah, sort of early 90s death metal scene, Crucifixion is one certainly not to overlook. Um, yeah, so Desert of Shattered Hopes is the debut I'm talking about. The cover's a bit ridiculous, but it it's not offensively bad. It still has a kind of, like, nice artistic feel even if the the concept was completely stupid of like this sort of angel and devil tied to two crucifixes and the image has been like kind of copy and pasted upside down above it. I, I'm sure there's some some sort of meaning there, but uh, I don't know exactly what they're going for. As I say, actually you can get this with their ninety one demo, A Cold Sea of Horror, which is it's a very good demo and I think if I'd come across it in absence of any other context I would have loved it. But you can see very much how it's sort of the build up to this album. And actually it really shows off at just kind of what a level um Armando Mata was at with his guitaring because it's this kind of, you know, well executed but fairly straightforward death metal album until it gets to the solos and then they're just these like mind bogglingly out like minutes of the song where it'll do something ridiculous and then it's back to quite well done death metal. Um actually has a better cover than the album i'd argue though like i quite like the the artwork for this there's there's a few other little touches to um there's a shadow of hope i've probably mentioned like one of the things i've I sort of really enjoyed is um the the kind of the keyboard outro they put on the album they sort of have this fairly clever thing of fading in a keyboard over the ending riff so when you fade out the ending riff you're just left with the keyboard sound that, that sort of split felt quite epic and you know always a plus for a band of this era they resist the temptation on both the demo and the album to go for any real kind of an intro like these avoid the minute of just like irrelevant keyboards the keyboards on this album are actually like a nice touch but they also sort of um yeah feel like a a kind of natural part of the album rather than being like jarring move between sounds I was just checking my notes on this one i noted that the uh in particular the solo on screaming fatality from the demo is is completely nuts and just re-listening to it yeah that's well worth looking up just by itself for a, for a guitarist in 1991 i am surprised this guy didn't get kind of more of a legend status based on being able to play like this maybe it's my ignorance he plays very very fast and it sounds great to me but you know i'm i'm hardly hardly an expert on on what makes uh, breaks good guitaring. But anyway, even if that kind of lead work is not your bag, Crucifixion plays some brilliantly executed, very, very tight death metal, and really not a band to be overlooked from the early 90s era. up is a band i've covered on the podcast before this is sarcasm from sweden i think i covered their um third album esoteric tales of the unserene released in 2019 brilliant like dissection worship type album but they have been a band since 1990 their um vocalist uh, hevel borsalan has been with the band this entire time we have a greatly changed lineup in the in the meantime. I mean, unsurprisingly for a band who've been active for well over thirty years now, putting out an album this year. Actually, still a stream obscured, which I've heard good things about, but um, have not made made it to yet. But what I have been going through at length recently is they have a collection you can pick up, um, desolating screams of agony of all six of their demo tapes. And unlike a lot of those um, collection of demos where you get like, oh, it's like 30-odd tracks, but half of it is horrible promo recording, this is 23 songs, and all these demos are at a level of quality that certainly makes them worth checking out. Maybe not for everyone in each case, but what is really interesting, if you do go through like the hour and a half of material there, is to um, see the sort of evolution. So the... The debut demo "Flesh Waste" from 1992 is is a pretty cool, if like kind of, -of run-of-the-mill Swedish death metal release. But then the the second demo from that year, "In Hate," is absolutely fantastic. It's a very short one, um, three tracks, like less than 15 minutes. But these get real heavy for Swedish death metal. These the vocals are like this fantastically varied series of very like harsh lows and like occasional moves to sort of like higher register. The tone I believe is still like the H and two kind of thing, but it has that kind of bigger low end like hum to it. So it's almost got like kind of esque like very early vomitry esque nature to it, and there's this real like insistent heavy double kick performance going on behind it. There's moves into, like, the Entombed-esque atmosphere, particularly early Entombed, I'm referring to here, when, like, sort of the leads come in and it gets a bit more, kind of, dark and mysterious, whereas previously, essentially, this demo is just very, very brutal. Um, and it's one that's kind of recognised, I believe, the track off it, um, the, the title track of that, In Hate, made it onto the Swedish Death Metal compilation. So they're a band who was certainly known... What's really interesting with this, though, is so we have a great, like, I'd say real essential to pick up uh, Swedish death metal demo in the form of In Hate, particularly if you're into that kind of style. But the band, over the course of a very short period of time, would start evolving quite a lot. They put out a third demo this year. I have no idea how they managed to keep this active, as I say. It's like essentially putting out 10 songs a year soul enchantment and soul enchantment is a little disappointing because although the song's structures are still great there's it lacks the sort of heaviness of in hate it doesn't have that kind of bite to it but then 1993 with basically exactly the same lineup they put out another demo uh dark which is a two track like eight minute long thing and a complete direction change the cover is a picture of pinhead which is i don't know demo material you can um you can kind of forgive that but the band have made the essentially overnight have made that change they have become what they would later be of a very proto form of that sort of dissectiony very melody driven uh kind of black metal or at least in their case like sort of a, a black and death metal sound the vocals are switched to a higher register the drumming is kind of just this furious blast throughout. There's far less low end and sound. In fact, the guitar tone is very kind of thin, and the the only real nods to their older sound are when they go into moments where it is more clearly, um, I, I'd say, like sort of influenced by. Um, like entombed again like those leads are still somewhat there now this comes to an absolute head with the masterful final demo they did of the six a touch of the burning red sunset so four track demo probably the longest one they released like just over 20 minutes and it's taken the the sort of black metal of the dark demo but then retained some of the guitar heft of the um in hate demo sort of brought that nastiness back. We have, for the first time, actually, um, bass player Dave Janney, who sadly passed away in 2008, suddenly makes a real appearance on this release. His bass playing is incredibly clear and prominent and heavy-sounding and often taking a kind of slight detour from a lot of what the guitars are doing. There's touches of keyboards. Also, something that probably has uh, led to a change-up here of the guitarist Heinrich Fossland has moved from sorry, he was the drummer on all the previous stuff, and he's now moved to guitar and they've gotten a new drummer. So we now have two guitarists for the first time. All those previous releases were a single guitarist. And it's led to them having this ability to make these more complex interlocking I have, I have to reference them again, but dissection S melodies. And these songs now have these incredible build-ups, moments of atmosphere. If you listen to like the instrumental section, in the sec- in the middle of uh, "Upon the Mountains of Glory," there's, there's some fantastically cool kind of atmospheric stuff. Also, we hear a new version of "Fruitiers of Gold" off the previous demo, where they've re-recorded it and just made it significantly like more epic. You know, it's it's a full minute longer than the original version. And yeah, there's there's just a great sense of kind of melody, but it's always got that kind of dark, frostbitten, um, like older dissection sound to it. And I mean, these guys are relatively contemporary to them. Heaven, um, heaven, uh, Hevel, sorry, his vocal performance is fantastic on this. He's he's sort of slunk back a bit from that like full on black metal he was doing on the previous one, and's gone for a slightly something clearer delivery. But he he's just an absolutely fantastic vocalist and. As sort of the mastermind of this project, it really makes like a great front person for it. I'd say like the the demo collection as a whole is a bit much to digest. Listening to it in an hour and a half like an hour and a half of like a band like that is can be quite overwhelming. But I think really what everyone needs to take away from this is that combination of the In Hate demo and a touch of the Burning Red Sunset, which. Are, only about forty minutes of listening. There, there is just some absolutely amazing music between these two demos, and it's so good because the band more or less broke up after the release of this demo. I think they they put out the Scattered Ash EP in two thousand, but that was a quite a different lineup, and then then didn't like come back proper till uh, twenty sixteen with their album Burial Dimensions, and now they're a very active band, to having you know four albums in the last uh, six years. But this, this is interesting to go back to those demo days and see the kind of the genesis and the move away from kind of what everyone was doing at the time to something that was kind of, I guess, guess more original. Like in '92, they were very much late to the trend of Swedish death metal, whereas '93, doing this kind of black metal, I feel they were, um, you know, kind of riding high on that wave. So, for quite a jarring change of pace from that, uh, the next band I'm going to be covering is Skeptic from Poland, um, because I wanted to get something a little later in there, and this is their second album, Pathetic Being, from 2001. So, Skeptic are an interesting one to go back to at this point, because it's from my, like, it's a tech death album, from that era before tech death was really sort of codified, so it's long removed from the kind of music of you know atheist, cynic, that kind of stuff from the earlier era, and it's but it's pre like epitaph. It's pre that two thousand four, two thousand five explosion of uh, of shredding tech death. The reason I'm aware of skeptic is because of uh, guitarist uh, Jackie Kiro, who um, was part of Desiree with with Doc, who we mentioned earlier, along with a couple of the other guys who were sort of regular players in Vader. And he was always the kind of really flashy lead guitarist in that. And uh, Skeptic, like, have some of that in their music. He he certainly does use this band to sort of... You know, every song has a somewhat flashy solo in there for him. But... um, it's not primarily built around this. This is, you know, first and foremost, just a very fast, heavy death metal record. And it's an interesting sort of counterpoint to say something like um Crucifixion, where Crucifixion is like the nineties version of that sound and Skeptic is like the sort of two thousand version of that sound. Which does mean we've got like heavily triggered drums, like very, very loud kicks. Um but something the I think that helps negate that sound being too overpowering is an excellent bass performance from uh, Powell Colassa, who does this great like loads of like slap bass and really kind of intense fast stuff. Like, but like particularly the slap stuff comes across because it's such a a punch of a sound. It, it has that kind of intensity and almost like a percussive nature to it. So that's got a huge energy in there I mean it's a very solid capture of the guitars obviously by 2000 that's kind of a almost given um, and there's a great vocal performance over the top of it which I think is the thing that really anchors it uh, Michael uh, Sinenko uh, does like just has a fantastic death metal voice he does a bit of a range like a kind of uh, a relatively low high to a relatively high low if you know what I mean he's always in that kind of middling place but he's got a couple of different voices and i think that sort of really adds to it um something I, i've only just noticed and i kind of went over my head before there's even a a nocturnus cover in in the album they, they work uh, a cover of arctic crypt which i believe is off thresholds into it um and it, you know it kind of shows like that this is that that's a as i say a midpoint in the evolution of tech death where there is still sort of a nod to the older sort of early masters of that, but we're starting to approach that sound where things are becoming more, you know, with the triggering stuff, more perfect, more precise. We have a very over-the-top um, lime green photoshopped album cover. Um, and I think as well with the the name of the band, we're getting to that kind of weirder realm sort of tech def would go into with the the lyrics moving away from like the arcane rituals and and gory stuff to getting into sort of slightly philosophical sounds i I mean obviously death are kind of the ground zero for that but i feel that was more of a, a thing going forward with tech death that sort of um it has often a slightly like kind of high-minded nature to it i mean that's that's the impression i got anyway Sadly, I believe um, skeptic uh, have more or less broken up now. Actually, it, interesting. So they, they put out quite a few albums following this with with a reasonable amount of lineup changes. Like they they four albums going up to two thousand five, but they do have a demo from twenty fifteen, which I I wasn't wasn't previously aware of, and they are listed as active. But um, who knows exactly what that means. But yeah, this is one definitely worth going back to if you if you are a fan of as i say like the, the kind of necrophagous type stuff this is kind of a nice proto midpoint between that and like the performances on this are are stunning like, I, I really love that bass work uh Yako's guitarist guitarist guitaring is is really incredibly solid and there's some very nice solos uh, peppered throughout this much like he does for a with like that, that combination of shredding but uh an item a lot of some and, and also the songs really do outside their welcome. The album is only just over forty minutes and it, like most of the songs are under the five minute mark. So despite their sort of technicality, they're kind of rooted in more traditional kind of verse chorus structures for the most part. It does let itself down by having an absolutely pointless one minute long intro, but as I say, with with death metal from uh, the late '90s, early 2000s, that's totally par for the course. That's that's to be expected. Yeah, it's a really enjoyable one, but you'd be prepared for it. It has got that um, very triggered sound, so it would be quite at odds with a lot of what we covered so far on this episode. But I think it's interesting to look back at this now because you know it's over 20 years old. This is this is in many ways kind of as much an artifact as a lot of the the other albums we've covered. Um, yeah, I think I'll do for for this. Like that feels like enough enough to go through. was about 10, 10 records there. Uh, I've got a few more, so I can do another one of these in the future. But as I say, I want to really switch gears for the next few episodes. I've got a few a few things in mind. Um, as I've mentioned on previous episodes, I'm still continuing my weird experiment of um, not getting into any new music this year. Like I'm trying to fully go through and learn my collection, and it is paying off so far stuff like uh crucifixion i picked up ages ago never really listened to and uh <laughs> you know as soon as i put it on I'm absolutely kicking myself that i didn't didn't already know that album inside out but do still go ahead and recommend me stuff i'll just save it till next year um and and let me know what you think of the these episodes i know these ones where i look back and not forever on like uh, like if you prefer i cover more up to date stuff, do let me know. You can get in touch at, at Breakfast Metal on Twitter, Phil's Breakfast Metal on Instagram, Facebook, or if you want to send a longer message, um, Phil's Breakfast Metal at gmail.com for emails. Um, I will try and respond to you within a couple of days if you do get in touch. But uh, yeah, if if not, um, I do apologize. I do try and stay on top of that stuff. Oh, and I haven't said in a while, but yeah, if you could leave some reviews of it, I know iTunes is a good place for that. But anywhere like that yeah it's very nice for my ego if you if you can so anyway thanks a lot for listening